Good morning. Just open your hearts to receive God's word from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 20. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And working together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for an offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as ministers of God, in much perseverance, in afflictions, in distresses, in hardships, in beatings, in imprisonments, in disturbances, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in unhypocritical love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory by in dishonor, in dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet, behold, we live, as punished and yet not put to death, as sorrowful but always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things." Good morning, church family. What a blessing to worship the Lord and just gather around his word together. If you are visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Um, actually, I'm glad the rest of you are here too. Don't misunderstand. But um, we have been working our way through Matthew's gospel, haven't we? And uh, Matthew, as you know, presents to us Christ as king, who, who is Jesus. He is um, God's long-promised, long-awaited king. And, and the king has come. He's been born into humanity. We just sang about that. He has been born into time, and he has done everything necessary to save his people from their sins. Not all people, his people. And the king has come in saving his people to then send his people out into the world uh, to hear this gracious message of salvation from God through faith in the king, through faith in Jesus Christ. And here in Matthew 10, uh, we see the king is sending out his chosen disciples and he's, he's reminding them that to, to follow him, to follow Jesus, uh, is not an invitation to a comfortable religious life. It really isn't. It's a call to surrender to Christ as king. It's a call to die to yourself as you represent Jesus in a world that needs and often hates Jesus. This morning, we're reminded in Scripture that loyalty to King Jesus, in other words, real Christianity, uh, is quite costly. 
Loyalty to Jesus may cost you relationships. Uh, loyalty to Jesus may cost you uh, comfort. It may cost you earthly security. Loyalty to the mission of Jesus does not allow you to isolate among fellow believers so that you never or rarely interact with the world outside the church. And so we need this, this caution from our Lord that, you know, when it comes to discipleship, great are the demands and great are the dangers for disciples engaging in the king's mission. Now, that's a bit of a wind-up, isn't it? Let's, let's make sure um, these things are so. Look, look at the scripture with me, Matthew 10, 16. Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Re remember the, the, the context here. Um, Jesus saw the crowds in Galilee, the multitudes that were coming to him for healing and, 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 and release from, from demonic possession and all, all manner of ailments coming to this Jesus. And he, he looks out at the vast multitudes and his heart breaks with compassion for these people. He saw men and women and boys and girls uh, harassed and torn apart by the enemy of souls. Uh, he saw people created in the image of God, uh, nonetheless alienated from God, uh, w without hope in this world. Um, he, he saw uh, religious people, nonetheless lost people. He saw the people of ancient Israel as sheep without a shepherd. No one to lead them away from the very brink of hell they were living on. Um, either in ignorance or rebellion, uh, no one to lead them out of what had become a false religion into the blessed life that God really has for his people. I wonder this morning, have you been led by the shepherd king into the blessed life that God has for his people? It's all to do with following and living in allegiance to this king. This king who has come to rescue his people, to do everything necessary to save his people from their sins. And, and Jesus looks out at the vast multitude and, and, he, and considering this rescue mission that he's on and, and he likens it to a vast field of grain. 
that, that, it, that, is, that is ripe for harvest, but there are far few two workers for this harvest. And so Jesus told his disciples to do what? This is the talking in church part. Pray, pray, and pray some more. Pray fervently, earnestly, that the Lord would send out workers for his harvest. And, and in their praying, the disciples learned right away that the king's mission is also his disciples' mission. They were tapped to be among those who were to be the very answer to that prayer, that laborers would be sent out into the harvest. And what a reminder to us that Jesus does not call his disciples to be those who simply take in more and more information about Jesus. He calls and he empowers and he sends his disciples into the world. Uh, his mission is our mission and it starts at home. It starts in our Galilee, just, just like it did for these guys. And so we need this warning, this caution, and this hope of his presence as we, as we deal with the, the demands and, and the dangers of embracing this mission. Behold, says Jesus... Verse 16, take special note of this. Um, wake up to this truth about this mission. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You remember, if you were here last week, we, we said, or at least I did, and nobody said anything otherwise. So um, we want to be careful in Matthew 10 because we find in Matthew 10 that there is descriptive truth that is applicable to the first apostles. And yet there is prescriptive truth in this passage for all disciples, okay? And I want us to just think here about the, the descriptive truth. This is a, this is a history of the, the 12 who were chosen from among the many disciples, the 12 apostles, and they are beginning a, a, a gospel internship, if you will, on-the-job training uh, in this great work of bringing in the harvest there in Galilee. But, but there is, um, you know, prescriptive truth in the instruction that these apostles are given. D did you notice that this is a very curious and alarming metaphor? I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's, that's odd because sheep by nature run from wolves. Sheep don't seek out wolves. These will. Sheep, by nature, have no ability to withstand wolves in and of themselves. And so there is prescriptive truth for us here today. Jesus commissions his disciples to do what is not natural to them and cannot be done in their own strength. This absolutely requires dependence upon the king. This absolutely requires walking in the spirit so that we may be led as we engage the king's mission. And in doing so, Jesus says, my disciples can expect to be surrounded by those who are hostile to the king. Don't be surprised by this. Don't be scandalized by this. Solidarity with Jesus means suffering from those who are against Jesus. For who? Any who follow Jesus. Any who embrace his mission in a world that is indifference to Jesus or hates 
this Jesus. So we don't need to think that something has gone wrong on your end when you are rejected, snubbed, ignored, um, disrespected, or worse. Um, no need to conclude when you, when you feel that pressure, um, people rejecting you, belittling you, shaming you, that sort of thing, um, because of your loyalty to Christ in his mission, that Jesus says it's, it will be that way. It, it will be that way. And we certainly don't want to be like some who kind of operate pragmatically and think that, well, if, if something's difficult, it must not be God's will. You know, that was really hard. That was really scary. I, that didn't seem to succeed. I guess that's not God's will. Notice that that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. The mission is difficult. And it will be uncomfortable at times, not easy. In fact, the pushback, the attacks from the wolves may well affirm your belonging to the king. Based on what? Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't shrink back from the difficulty, but as sheep... In the midst of wolves, you've, you've been sent. So don't retreat. Keep going. But keep going with much wisdom and much integrity supplied by your king. Still in verse 16. And we're making tremendous time, aren't we? Um, so be shrewd as serpents. Um, when our kids were quite young, I hope I get this right. But I'm remembering uh, that our kids used to like to go play with their friends who live somewhere around Hauser Lake, and they loved to catch these, these um, garter snakes. And um, they could spend the entire day doing that. And um, in, in a moment of weakness, their parents allowed them to bring some of their snakes home in little containers, and that would be cute, and we would release them into the wild of our backyard. And... Um, so there's like rookie parenting stuff. And, and you know, surprise, no surprise at all, the, the snakes got out in the house before they could be released because you got to touch them and stuff, right? And, um, and that's, um, that's really disgusting. But I, but I, but I, know, I did notice that um, those snakes immediately went into this corner and they went into that corner. And how a, a little snake, a little baby snake can hide in the... The thing that your sliding glass door slides in. I don't know how that's possible, but it happened. You couldn't just go grab them, right? So in addition to being disgusting, snakes are smart when it comes to danger. They just don't go busting into danger. They, they don't move toward danger uh, carelessly. Uh, they're cautious. They're clever. They're shrewd in that sense, as, as well as disgusting. And, and, and the, point, the point is what? Um, disciples do not rush thoughtlessly uh, or cavalierly into conflict, into danger. That's not what this is about. This isn't a call to be, you know, the, 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 the John Wayne of, of the church. We're, we're to be wise about our surroundings, prayerful to consider what it means to do the right thing at the right time. I mean, we're always meant to be asking ourselves, what, what's the best way uh, to get the, the, the best uh, um, outcome in, in this circumstance as, as a representative of Christ? 
We're meant to be asking ourselves, how will, how will these words, how, how will the way I'm acting, how will my behavior um, represent my king in a world that is indifferent to or hates my king? We're, we're meant to think through this stuff. Don't go looking for opposition. Opposition will find you. You think of Paul... In the, in the book of Acts, Acts 23, we read of Paul. He's brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And as you may know, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish um, religious council, comprised of Pharisees um, who believe in the resurrection and Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're so sad, you see. Remember that one? Um, anyway, um, they, they all want to kill Paul. And Paul says what? He says, I am a Pharisee on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. And what happens? Well, now they have to have a fight about whether or not there's a resurrection. And the Pharisees are cornered. They have to say, look, we find nothing wrong with this man. And the Romans hear the commotion and send guards to escort Paul away from danger. I would submit to you that's being um, wise as a serpent. Shrewd as a serpent. He testifies to Christ, but, but he knows his surroundings, see. Wise judgment. Common sense in, in, in practical matters as opposed to running thoughtlessly into danger. Speaking carelessly, that sort of thing. This shrewdness, by the way, means that we do not overestimate the kindness of wolves. You, you care if this is practical for a minute? In our day, in American politics, candidates very deliberately dress up like sheep in order to get the church vote. You hearing this? And a lot of sheep fall for this. And some of you here today are falling for this. Apparent friendliness toward sheep does not make one a sheep and therefore a Christian candidate. Political self-interest is routinely Christianized. Just stick a, stick a fish on it, stick the Jesus fish on it, and it's Christian, right? No, no. Be, be shrewd as serpents. And, and then Jesus says, innocent as doves. I mean, it's, it's almost like we're on safari here, isn't it? We've got sheep, we've got wolves, we've got snakes, we've got doves. But what does he mean when he says, be innocent as doves? Well, Jesus calls his messengers to purity and to gentleness. This, this is the vibe in the, of the Christian in the world that hates Christians. And this paradox really balances the shrewdness that Jesus speaks of. We're not to be shrewd in the sense that we use the wolves' own tactics, um, you know, thinking that we're advancing the kingdom. And I, and, I, and I beg some of you to hear this. We're wrong if we think hating others in response to their hatred of the gospel is not, you know, that's not how God's kingdom grows. Some of you need to edit your Facebook pages, by the way. Just get rid of that stuff. That is not how the kingdom of God advances. They hate us, we'll hate them. 
and shouting down and tearing down our, you know, the gospel's enemies in that sense um, is, is not our king's way. So, so what is he saying here? Well, doves are well known for their calm fearlessness. They're the, they're the last bird that takes off when there's danger. So Christians are to be like doves in that we're not so cautious that we escape risk by saying nothing, doing nothing. That's not the idea. We remain active um, and therefore vulnerable, meaning what? The, the, the safe Christian life in the sense that you never get outed for your allegiance to Jesus. Um, that, that's foreign to Scripture. And as you represent me, says Jesus, do so with purity and gentleness. This is all over our New Testament. Listen to Paul's heart to the Philippians. He says, Philippians 1.27, live your lives in a, worth, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Peter, the disciple whose natural instinct was to draw the sword and aim for the neck, however poorly he might aim, um, later said this to his fellow disciples, For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And you say, well, my goodness, what in our day and age, what does it look like to be um, shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove? It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. I, I won't reread all of what um, Pastor Sean read in um, 2 Corinthians, but just, just, just notice the cost to Paul as he embraced the mission of Jesus. He says to the, to the Corinthians, hey, we're, we're giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as ministers of God in much perseverance, in afflictions, in distresses, in hardships, in beatings, in imprisonments, in disturbances, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in unhypocritical love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. I mean, how, how can you take that in? Um, with an attentive heart at all and, and think that it will be possible to live for Jesus well, that any, without any kind of pushback whatsoever as you represent him in a world that's opposed to Jesus. It's just not going to be possible. Great are the demands. Great are the dangers for disciples engaged in the king's mission. John MacArthur um, in his commentary uh, in Matthew, uh, puts some skin on this snakes and doves thing. He, he says this, he says, it is neither wise nor loving to be needlessly accusatory or inflammatory 
It is neither brave nor wise and neither spiritual nor loving to needlessly incite anger or court trouble, end quote. In other words, if we're going to offend, let it be the gospel that offends, not our behavior, not our demeanor. And how many of you know the gospel will offend? The gospel will offend some. And so we want to remember that dove-like innocence is not simply avoiding negative attitudes, you know, doing wrong stuff. It's, it's active, intentional, moral purity. The, the world is watching the Christian to see if the life matches the message. Our lives without words are meant to commend the gospel and reflect our king. Well, let's, let's move on here. Are you still listening? Yes. Verse 17, but beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, note that, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Okay, again, descriptive and prescriptive truth. What, what's going on here with the twelve? Well, interestingly enough, the 12 were just instructed not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. We saw that back in in verses 5 and 6. So why then would they be all of a sudden interacting with with kings in such a way that their, their suffering would be a witness to the Gentiles? Well, clearly, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus, these disciples and all who followed them Um, would go to the Gentile world. And so there is prescriptive truth for disciples, for you and I here today. You know, opposition to the king's messengers will come from every part of humanity. That that ought not surprise us. Beware of men, meaning human beings, not men as opposed to women, fellow image bearers of God, even religious people, Do you think he means that? Even religious people who think they're doing God a favor when they push against the gospel and the life the gospel calls God's image bearers to live. Well, well, here are the first disciples being told that they're going to be flogged in their own synagogues. And you think of, you know, what was was Paul's experience? He, He says to, again, to the church in Corinth, he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, less one. I mean, why 39 and not 40? Because they figured 40 would kill you. Five times that happened, Paul said. And, And why will the king allow this? I mean, this is outrageous. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, says Jesus. The king's messengers do not suffer needlessly. This, this is not without purpose. This, this is meant to commend the king. This, this is meant to provide opportunity to bear witness for the king. All suffering for the gospel, that's an important part, all suffering for the gospel proclaims the gospel and honors the king. And notice, Jesus is, is warning his first followers, look, this isn't just to do with um, 
the organized religion called first century Judaism, he says, um, government will get involved in this. How many of you know God ordained government under sin's curse, as it is, easily mutates from provider and protector to persecutor and punisher? This is happening all over the world. And there's some who are getting the sense that, gosh, maybe, maybe something like that could happen here. Maybe it's possible for, for a government, even with the one we're privileged to have, with the roots that it has, could begin to think that, you know, these Jesus people are kind of a problem that needs to be dealt with somehow. Now, professing Christians, isolated in Christian community, um, will not experience this. But those who embrace the king's mission, living in obedience as his messengers, um, this pushback will at times be your experience. And notice Jesus specifically says this persecution is for my name's sake. In other words, this isn't suffering in general. But this is suffering specifically because you're attached to Jesus in a world that hates Jesus. Jesus says in verse 19, but when they deliver you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. That word deliver, and some of your Bibles say hand over or arrest. It's a chilling word because it comes from a Greek um, um, word that connotes betrayal, betrayal. Uh, Judas handed over Jesus to the arresting authorities. That, that, that's the idea. How many of you know in, in India and in Nepal today, there are Hindus and, and Buddhists among missionaries we support uh, who attach themselves to house churches and they um, pretend to be converted and, and they get all chummy with the people in the, the house church uh, until they provide a list of all of the members of that church to the authorities. And, and Jesus says, you know, um, when you're in the press of this sort of thing, keep in mind that this kind of betrayal um, is not foreign to my disciples. This, this is the way it's going to be sometimes. And in the moments when this betrayal happens, Jesus says, do not worry about how or what you are to say. And I just want to um, make a, a quick little aside here because I think this is one of the, the, the most misused little phrases in, in our New Testament, this business of not worrying about what to say. This is not a promise of God's aid. Um, to preachers and teachers who, any messengers who fail to prepare. How many of you men who were here yesterday are glad that our brother Kyle Delahook prepared for that message that he brought from the word of God? He didn't just say, hey guys, this just came to me in the shower this morning. Uh, let me just share it with you. That's not what this verse is talking about. In fact, the, 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 the preacher who stands before the flock every Sunday to share whatever popped into his mind that morning uh, is actually a danger, not a help to, to God's people. 
And I mention that just because it's fairly common in, in Christendom today. A lot of it on TV. Um, this is not a promise for those who don't prepare. This is a promise for those who cannot prepare. When preparation is impossible, God himself will empower his witnesses to defend themselves and rightly represent the gospel. For it is not you who speak, Jesus says, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And I pray that this, is, this encourages your heart. I mean, how many of you sometimes have family gatherings with those who don't, family members who don't know Jesus? And you, you, you have some sense of what might come up in those gatherings, and that's not the stuff that ever comes up, the stuff you're ready for. It's always the wild idea that nobody thought anybody would ever bring up. And, and I pray it comforts us that the Lord is there with us. We, we don't have to have a template for every possible circumstance. As prepared as we are, we can trust that the Lord is in the midst of that and, and will, will lead his people to represent him rightly. You think of Peter um, responding to the Sanhedrin um, who, whose members um, had told the apostles to knock it off with the Jesus stuff. And, and Peter, in the moment, was given this to say, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This one God exalted to his right hand as a leader and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who obey him. I don't think Peter was, was looking at a tablet like I am now, things that he had thought out ahead of time. God, the Holy Spirit, put those words in his heart and set them into action as he spoke. Now, are you still listening? We're, we're in the home stretch here, so don't, don't despair. Um... Notice that it isn't just Christless religion and it isn't just worldly government that, that pushes back toward disciples. The opposition will come from within their own families. Look at verse 21. And brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated by all because of my name but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Um, there's not time, but I, I trust we all have um, heard reports you know, from, from China, um, uh, parts of Asia, where there are programs encouraging children to rat out their parents. So, so we, this is still happening today. And that word betrayal is the same one that we saw in verse 19. And I'm not going to say a whole lot more about this because we're going to spend an entire message just focusing on what happens in family settings when not everybody's a follower of the king. That's something we can all relate to, and Jesus says a lot about that. But, but suffice it to say this morning, allegiance to Jesus often divides families. That, that is not an unusual thing. Don't, don't think that about your family if it's happening. The most hurtful opposition may come from those closest to you. 
Doesn't the scripture say, what, what fellowship has light with darkness, right? And you may experience, experience malice, animosity, shunning, shaming from, from your own unbelieving family members simply because of your allegiance to Jesus. There, there's something about the nature of the person united to Christ that is an offense so often to those who are not united to Christ. And yet our charge is to represent him anyway. You know, when Jesus says that his disciples will be hated by all, clearly he does, there's some hyperbole here because clearly he does not mean literally all people everywhere at all times will hate you. He's just told his men earlier in this instruction that there would be some homes whose um, people would welcome them and actually extend hospitality to them. Uh, but, but he is warning them um, that this kind of opposition can come from any sphere of life. And there will be a temptation among God's people to shrink back. There will be a temptation among God's people to um, retreat, to cease to function as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And I, and I just urge you to, to, to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this in your conscience. Is, is it possible that some of us have shrunk back? Is it possible that some of us have settled into a sort of comfortable Christianity that is lived out primarily with other believers and isn't really extending itself out beyond the family of God. That happens every once in a while. It's going to be just fine. It'll stop in a minute. Um, Jesus says it's the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Th those who endure under this kind of pressure, who are faithful in representing the king um, uh, until the Lord calls them home. That, that, that's the end, the end, the end of their days. Um, they bear evidence that they belong to the Lord in the first place. Those who apostatize, those who deconstruct their professions of faith, apparently that's a thing now. Have you read about this? Um, because pressure from the culture is too strong. Um, the, the cost of allegiance to Christ and his word is just too high. Um, in falling away, what's going on there? Um, they simply bear evidence that they never were attached to the Lord in the first place. Like who? Like Judas. Judas comes to mind. Everybody thought Judas was one of the Jesus people until it was really clear he wasn't. And why did it become clear? Because the cost of following Jesus was just too high. It just wasn't going to work out the way he thought it was going to work out. Notice that leaving a place of persecution is not the same thing as apostasy. Jesus says, be wise as serpents. It's, it's wise to, to live to fight another day, isn't it? Um, it it's prudent. It's sensible uh, to look for ways to avoid conflict if you can and yet still represent Jesus. 
Be wise as serpents, shrewd as serpents. But Jesus says, whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. No need to worry that you'll run out of people to share Christ with. Okay? Um, R.T. France, in, in his commentary on Matthew, says this. He says, following Jesus is not a route to popularity and influence in the world. It leads to a life on the run. And, and, and that was, certainly was true for, for the first disciples, the apostles, but, but it's true for, for so many in God's family today. Jesus is not calling his disciples to seek martyrdom. Nor is he calling Christians today to, to play the martyr. You know, woe is we. You know, look, look, look how we suffer. No, Jesus tells his people straight up, it's going to be this way. This will be the normative thing if you're to follow me and live in loyalty to me. But be sure of this, there's no shortage of lost people to move toward, to move on to. Um, now, this statement, until the Son of Man comes, I don't want to just skip that and move on. What, what in the world is that about? Um, it, it, it can be a confusing phrase. Is Jesus referring to his second coming, the, the end of history? Um, that, that's possible. And yet, clearly, these disciples were not going to live to see the second coming of the Lord Jesus to rule on the earth. Um, is Jesus referring, as some believe, to um, his, his coming into the, the city of Jerusalem, uh, you know, on the, that, that day we call Palm Sunday? You know, he's, the king is welcomed uh, and yet soon rejected and, and then, then crucified. That's, that's possible. Some, some students of the Bible think that the, the time element here, when the Son of Man comes, speaks of the judgment uh, that came in AD 70 uh, when God allowed and, and carried out, really, the destruction of, of Jerusalem by the Roman army. That the Son of Man coming, not uh, in, a, in his physical presence, but coming in judgment. And elsewhere in Scripture, that, that, that idea is, is expressed that way. Um, Jesus told the church of Ephesus, for example, in Romans, excuse me, Revelation 2, he says, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand unless you repent. And, and history tells us what? Jesus didn't return bodily to, to Ephesus, but he, he certainly did come in judgment to that church in the sense that its witness for the Lord was removed. Okay? But I, but I think it helps to keep in mind the difference between just keeping it simple, descriptive and prescriptive truth here. What, what is simply descriptive of history? These first apostles, these first disciples rather, uh, will not have finished proclaiming the gospel to their own people before the Son of Man comes. And, and as Jewish men, as they heard that phrase, the Son of Man comes, uh, they most certainly would have remembered that exact phrase in Daniel 7. Remember, Daniel was given a vision, a glimpse into the future. And, and in that vision, Daniel seven thirteen, 
It says, Behold, I saw with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and came near before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Now, Jesus has already identified himself in Matthew's gospel as the Son of Man. Um, And Daniel prophesies the Son of Man coming not down to the earth, but up to the Father, the Ancient of Days, just the plain meaning of the text. And he's given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. How many of you know that there is a man who is God named Jesus, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he reigns over all things right now? that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that he has come and he's done all that is necessary to redeem his people, to save his people from their sins. He's lived the perfect life you owe God and haven't lived. And he died the only death on that cross and shed the only blood that would atone for your sins. And he died and he was buried and he rose again the third day and he rules today from heaven. And he's coming again. He's coming again. So Daniel is describing the ascension and enthronement of Christ, the Lord's anointed king. How is that descriptive for these first disciples? Well, um, frankly, they would see Jesus ascend to heaven, wouldn't they? And no, they would not be done reaching their own people in Galilee let alone Judea, hence their commission. This sort of now but not yet thing in terms of prophecy uh, happens again and again in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here because the king has come. And where does the kingdom exist now? The kingdom exists in, ev- in the heart of every man woman, boy, girl, in whom Christ reigns as king. And I I urge you to consider that this morning before we close. Does your conscience testify that you are one who lives in allegiance to this king? That that, that you are a repenting, Jesus-following person? Because God has opened your eyes to see Not only you for who you are, a sinner in need of rescue from outside of yourself, but to see Jesus for who he is, your Savior, who is both strong and kind. And the kingdom is yet to come, isn't it? It's here, but it's yet to come. Uh, There is a day coming when the Son of Man will return bodily to this earth, visibly. And permanently to reign over the nations. Let me just end with this. Until Christ returns then, disciples are to live lives that bring glory to God. Busy doing the work of evangelism and discipleship. Expecting to be rejected by some. This is the king's mission. These are the demands and dangers. And that's a lot of words to write down. Um, 
I don't want you to hurt yourselves. That, that's actually taken right from the doctrinal statement of this church. If you want to know what we're about as a people of Hayden Bible Church, what, what's our mission? Until our Lord returns, and he is returning, we want to live lives that bring glory to God yes. in Hayden, in Coeur d'Alene, in, in Rathdrum. Even out in the, in the third world areas like Athol and, and, and Spirit Lake and places like that. And we want to be busy doing the work of making more disciples. And um, we're not always going to be the most popular. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you that it um, pierces our hearts in uh, ways that you ordain. And so I, I pray, Jesus, that as, as you have been lifted up in your word, that you would save sinners among us today. Lord, that you would grant repentance and faith. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to ignite in us your people to even more fully embrace this mission, Lord. And help us to remember as we do that the, the, that the pushback we feel and experience is, is, is not some unique thing. You, you've warned us that it will be this way, and yet you've promised to be with us always. And you've promised to equip the very thing that you've sent us out to do. So teach us, Lord, to live by faith. And we ask this in your name.